Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. This is Jay Weinberg from Slipknot, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode 313. We're going to dip back into the 30th anniversary shows. This is going to be number two, night two. I'm excited. Someone did write in. I think it was our friend Nick Roller. And he said that we can't hide from Lulu part two forever. <laughs> well, listen, uh, good news. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll be recording that episode next week with Mr. Paul Milk again. We're not hiding from it. We, it's it's hard enough to schedule us, but then we're adding a third person plus the holidays. We're not necessarily running from it. Well, we kind of avoided it for a week ish. Just we, needed a break. Yeah, I mean that's that's a very fatiguing record. So, um. we'll tell you what you're gonna you're gonna get a little bit of Lulu sauce in today's episode. That's right. Yeah, because night two is the night that Lou Reed showed up and did his thing at the thirtieth anniversary shows which i gotta say night two the vibe feels a little better it does yeah it feels a lot better if you're joining us for the first time we are an all metallica podcast we're going to be doing a lot of metallica talk today i hope that's why you tuned in (laughs) if you're a morgan wade fan you might be disappointed Uh, or maybe not i don't know i'm told that people enjoy the podcast even if they don't like metallica yeah and uh, i I choose to take them at their word yeah fair enough And, and listen if you're not a metallica fan and you just like music talk. We're doing plenty of that. It just happens to be about our favorite band. What this podcast is about, Metallica. Exactly. So thanks for joining us. However, you come. We've gotten a lot of new listeners. Uh, I guess because the new record has just generated a lot of excitement about yeah. uh, the band. So welcome to everybody who's hopping in. We're glad you're here. There's a lot. There's a lot to go back and listen to, and uh, we are going to burn down in what I like to call excruciating detail. The detail is so fine that it will be painful at times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely will be painful. <laughs> but we've maintained that standard uh, quality since day one. And uh, we're going to continue forth here. We are going to do the housekeeping. I've got a little bit of news. Metallica had to warn some fans about crypto scams. All right. Because unfortunately, a, a Manhattan dude, a 51-year-old Manhattan man, was scammed out of like $20,000 worth of Bitcoin because there are apparently these fake Metallica YouTube accounts asking for money? Yeah, I clicked on one on accident. Are you the 51-year-old man in Manhattan who lost $25,000? They got the age and the uh, the city and how much money I'm actually worth wrong, but yes. Okay, good. I was on YouTube looking at something else and that came up as a thing and it was like live now and I was like, huh, what are they doing? Until you click on the actual um, YouTube user page it looks legit so i clicked on it and it was like this glitchy interview and i was like what is this so i went on our discord to see if anybody else was watching this and someone's like oh that's a scam and i was like i looked back at it and saw this little qr code at the bottom it's like scan here for full album download i'm like no 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 well they released this statement it says in the wake of last week's exciting news of our new song new album new tour unfortunately the ugly side of social media made an appearance many of you have let us know about youtube channels and live streams as well as websites claiming to offer metallica crypto giveaways in conjunction with last week's announcement, let's be as clear as possible. These are scams. They're being streamed on fake YouTube channels posing to be ours and all pointing to websites that we do not run. Please remember, 
All of our official social media channels are verified. Always look for official verification before believing something wild and crazy to be true. We thank all of you who have been vigilant in reporting these live streams to YouTube and to us. Please don't let up. Be familiar with the symbols that indicate an official channel and report anything that's a scam. They sent out like a blast of that with all of links to all their like official social right. stuff. Right, so. yeah, exactly. You know what I gotta say to that? Not to Metallica, of course. <laughs> right, right, just to the situation. It is the unfortunate reality of the world we live in is that there are people out in this world that want to take advantage of other people in any way, shape, or form, and people get scammed every day. It's really sad. Yeah, I mean, the world is a sharp place. You know, it can be really not nice, and you everyone needs to be careful out there, you know? That's right. And, you know, that's a good reminder, too. I mean, we had a little, we didn't, it wasn't a Metallica scam, but we did have something come up over Thanksgiving with my in-laws, you know, where there was just something, they got a weird text message, and didn't really know what to do, and it was a scam. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these things target older folks. For sure. So good reminder to all of you out there, all of our parents, maybe some of you with your grandparents who have iPhones and computers and are young, you know, young at heart and kicking ass and all that stuff, they may be more susceptible to this. Have a conversation with the people that you love in your life about mm-hmm. scam about scams. Exactly, period. yeah. yeah, yeah. My, my mother-in-law is 81 years old. She's still insanely sharp. But we tell her like, hey... She's she's still, you know, with her iPhone, she's like, how do I do the thing? You know, yeah. I'm like, hey, if you get a text from a number you don't have, ignore it until you see us. We can look at it. Same thing with a phone call. If it's, if it's not some a number you know or one of us or something, then just ignore it. Yeah, my mother-in-law got one that was like, hey, uh, you didn't pay your AT&T bill. You know, here's a link to pay it. And she's like, I, she's like, I always pay my AT&T bill. And I was like, Marisol, that's a scam. Don't yeah, yeah. delete that. Delete that. Block that number immediately. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it just sucks. That's the that's the way of the world. But but everyone, bone up and beef up, and let the people that uh, you love in your life know that that shit's possible. All right, moving on. We are on all the socials: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Amazon Music, Spotify, YouTube. We have a party coming up January seventeenth. It's going to be in town at fourteenth. January fourteenth. <laughs> I'll be there on both days. Apparently, <laughs> we're going to be doing giveaways, stuff. Wear your metal up your podcast shirts. Book it now. Don't be the person that doesn't come. That's right. The easiest way to get a hold of us is our email address. It's metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. We're going to dip in to the community, read a couple of emails. And I've also got a really interesting email that I will read last All right. of someone who was at the 30th anniversary shows who kind of broke down some of the vibe for us. Okay. So uh, let's check into the email corner right now. All right. Our first email is from Dave T., says, hey, boys, greetings and salutations. I've been playing around with song stems and found the files for Dawn Patrol. Uh-oh, what does that mean? Uh, Dave's vocal track is something, he says. If you'd like to join in my giggling and head shaking, I'm attaching some goodness. Have fun always and be excellent to each other. Dave T., uh, well, listen, I loaded up these things in the magic box. Here we go. Let's hear him. We end our lives as moles. <laughs> it kind of sounds like he's almost doing like a like a wizard voice or like medieval voice. We end our lives as mole. Like you, like, like I mean, for real. Check it out. You can go like this. We end our lives as moles. <laughs> do the do the medieval music with the long one because he gave he basically gave us the same moles line, right? But he gave us with like more more uh, info on it. All right, stand by. of Dawn Patrol. <laughs> I mean... Does he make the kissy noises in the recording? That's supposed... I think that's supposed to be like a mouse. Like... <laughs> 
It's <laughs> it's like this weird whistle kiss sound. It sounds like he's like in a bunker or something, and he's making this grave speech about you know how we the, the Dawn Patrol like they're ending their lives as moles. Right. They're no longer going to be in the Dawn Patrol, and then it sounds like he just went. Now, now give me a kiss in hell. Maybe he was uh, at the same time recording vocals for Dawn Patrol. He was doing an ASMR album. Radio is doing stuff like this. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? Here's the fun thing is we got that now loaded into the magic box and probably forever will be there. So thank you, Dave T., for that wonderful Metal Your Podcast gift. We very much appreciate it. We love it. David F. writes in, hello, Father's Earth. Love the show. I've been listening every week for a couple of years, having gotten on the train about halfway through. I always look forward to my commute on Monday since I know a new episode will be there ready for me. I still love listening even when Metallica is barely mentioned in the episode of this quote-unquote all-Metallica podcast. Your insight into the live music world has brought a new appreciation for me for what musicians and artists are putting out there. So much goes on behind the scenes that we mere mortals never see. The best news about this new tour and album cycle is that Metal Group Podcast will have plenty of material to keep the podcast going for another five to eight years. Keep up the good work from the dark of the Dawn Patrol. Dave, that is a serendipitous tag ending. We end our life as moles. <laughs> Wait, hold on. There's a new layer to this um, Dawn Patrol onion here. Does he say we end our live as moles? That's what it sounds like. Let's hear it again. We end our life as moles. Oh, he says life. He's saying life. We end our life as moles. As moles. How do you put more syllables in the word moles? Moles. Let's see. Mole, it's four. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> Plus the kissy, the smooching sounds. Yeah, that's a few too. <laughs> well, thank you, Dave. I'm really glad you're enjoying the show, even when we don't talk about old Metallica. And yes, the new album is definitely going to give us a lot of new material to talk about the band, which is exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Now, if if uh, if we can't make it five to eight years, maybe you can just take over for us after like three or something. We don't, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll have to pass the baton on to the Dawn Patrol. I know. So you're telling me if it's five to eight years, at minimum, I'll be 49 when this is and we end this or or 49 up to um what is it my math 52 cool wow you're gonna be the 52 year old guy getting scammed on crypto crypto dot whatever the fuck that's right they're gonna get about five dollars of bitcoin from me this next email is interesting that you're gonna read where uh, i get called out for getting something wrong here all right well from brian k i want my hundred bones <laughs> clint ben- <laughs> Clint bet that the boys would, would play Lux Eterna at every show of the tour, but the tour is a no-repeat weekend, so they probably will not be playing the song at both shows. My dog likes coward pig bones, and I have <laughs> five, so that'll be 20 each. Thanks in advance, Brian K. <laughs> well, Brian, you were right, buddy. I failed to think of that when I thought about that they're going to be playing the song at every show. Yeah. So it is a no-repeat weekend, meaning they're not going to play their new single at both shows. That is kind of crazy. Uh, although, uh, by then, obviously, the album will be out. Or another one or two singles by then. You've got a couple singles. It's like doing, you know, Moth in the Flame 1-9 Hardwired the other night. But it'd be like not playing Sandman in 92. Yeah. Every other show. Right. I mean, if we're just sort of put, laying them on top of each other, which they don't really stack that way because the world's different. The song's not quite inter- blowing up the world the way Inner Sandman did. True, yeah. Um, it's just an awesome song. So, yep, good point, Brian K. I appreciate you calling me out. I'll <laughs> I'll look up how to get some bones in the mail pronto. I mean, at the very least, if he's saying if he's saying uh, what do you say, cow or pig bones, you might be able to just go to like PetSmart and get stuff like that. No, I'll I'll get the pig or cow bones myself. Yeah, I prefer just, to just do it myself. Just go slaughter a cow on a farm. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I eat meat, so I'll just I'll just figure it out and get a couple of bones. You'll see behind the scenes photos of this on on our socials. <laughs> totally. All right, Joe C writes, "Hi, Clint and Ethan. During a week filled with so much metallic excitement, I wanted to say how much I've enjoyed your Lulu and Fillmore episodes. As a fan of Lulu, I felt your discussion of the album covered so many thoughtful points. You guys always amaze me with how well you communicate your point of view while keeping each episode so entertaining." Well, that's a nice comment, Joe. Very nice. He says, it was also great hearing the detailed breakdown of the first night of the 30th anniversary uh, shows. Regarding the crowd reaction, I was fortunate enough to attend the second night. And remember, we had some questions about what the vibe was, right? Mm -hmm, Yeah. He says, I was fortunate enough to attend the second night and can tell you from personal experience, it was a long night. Between the line to get into the show, visiting the debut of the Metallica Museum, Jim Brewer, fan games, special guest speakers, the opening band, which was Armored Saint, which we'll get to. He says, I remember my wife and I being on our feet for a few hours before Metallica even started. They then proceeded to play for two and a half hours, hitting us with surprise after surprise, which left us all in a bit of shock as we tried to absorb what we were witnessing. The audience was pretty interesting, was an interesting mix of people as well. I had to try and block out complaints from those around me as I took in as much of the performance with Lou Reed as I could. When all was said and done, we were heading back to the hotel in the early hours of the next day, and I don't think I slept more than an hour or two because of how buzzed I was from the show. Or from token some ganj. Token the ganj, man. Come on. Were there any dragons of that show that you were chasing around? Yes, yeah, seriously. He says, anyway, keep up the amazing work, and thank you, thank you, thank you for the podcast. Well, we're going to get into that because patron of the show, Cosmo Moore, wrote in kind of a, not long, but a, some details about right about the show and i think we were i think we were right in our assessment i think it was feeling long for people yeah very long i guess what i was worried about was maybe but the band was kind of losing the crowd which doesn't sound like was happening people were just getting tired Mm -hmm. because there's a lot going on and then they they we've noticed this we're gonna do the same thing we did last time where i hit the first half of the show you're the sherpa up the mountain for the second half and the second half of the show is just always very guest heavy Mm -hmm, for sure i can see people getting pretty tired i feel like i would get tired of this show yeah absolutely i mean when they're doing, you know, for instance, this night, you know, they do three songs with Lou Reed. And, you know, surprise, surprise, pretty boring. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to it. All right. Up next. Michael Bradley says, good day. How do? How do? Started listening four or five months ago. And man, is there a lot of great episodes. Too many to comment on everything. But I love the show. I came online in 96 when I heard Until It Sleeps and have been a fan ever since. Back in October, I got a vinyl copy of Load. That has the or- and that has the orange records. As I looked at all the pictures, it brought me back to junior high when I had that album on repeat. This is a man after your own heart, Clint. I love it. Uh, I lived and breathed Metallica for several years up until the St. Anger-, Anger record came out. It was a huge disappointment, but at the time, I dove into some kind of monster trying to find anything redeemable about my favorite band. I was so excited when Death Magnetic came out. When they opened the album with That Was Just Your Life, I knew everything was going to be all right. Over time, the songs from Death Magnetic and Hardwired have really grown on me. The crushing one-two punch of Here Comes Revenge and Am I Savage have been great on repeat a lot lately. Anyway, I just want to say thank you for carrying the Metallica torch and reigniting that passion I have for this band. Love you guys and this band so much. I hope to be able to uh, meet you guys at the, at the party in January. There Michael we go. Bradley from Lebanon, Tennessee, New Jersey. Well, guess what, Michael? It's not like you have to get a $7,000 platform meet and greet to come see us. You can meet a, Yeah, he's right down the road. You know, we, listen... You might just see me walking down the street, shooting people that I meet uh, with a fully loaded Tommy gun. Oh, gosh, really? Well, I'm just quoting a Queen song. But come to the party, dude. We'll be hanging with everybody. The, 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 uh, one of the main points of the party is just a, a big community hang. 
we'll be getting on stage doing some fun stuff here and there, but we want to spend time with everybody and make everyone feel welcome and look, they're having the, the time of their life. Look, I got to say I'm with him on the That Was Just Your Life. I literally shouted in my living room while my wife was asleep, they're back. Yeah. I shouted it at the top of my lungs. <laughs> They're back. And I played the record at the top of at the, the highest it would go. My wife came in the room while I was doing it. She was like, are you out of your fucking mind? You're like, yep. I was like, deal with it, babe. Sure am. We didn't have any kids. This was 100 years ago when we were young and beautiful and everything was ahead of us. So mm-hmm. I was happy to wake her up. And she probably just laughed and stayed up with me. Remember those days? Yeah. The good old. We call them the good old days. Oh, yeah. No, my, my wife has an insane work schedule. She's in bed at 6 p.m. What would she do if you just started screaming and playing Metallica in the living room? I mean, she would kill you, dude. Dude, she would be the same reaction. like, are you insane? What are you doing? (laughs) All right, last email here, and then we'll hear from Cosmo. Richard Peterson writes in, what an awesome surprise it was to discover a new Metallica song on Monday, a new album, and tour. I love the song. Great combo of Thrash 5 and callback to their beginnings. My first thought was that it sounded like Stone Cold Crazy, but I agree it's got a diamond head feel. I like the short, quick-hitting nature of the song. In my opinion, the songs on Hardware were too long, although the title track was also a quick hitter. Is this a new formula? That is, if there are more albums in the future. I'm so freaking excited for the tour. I bought pre-sale tickets on Wednesday for the show here in Minneapolis. When have we ever bought tickets almost two years ahead of time? Goes to show how invested and dedicated we are. I love the two-show concept. Can't wait to hear some deep dives and no Saint Poo-Poo. You think they're going to play any Saint Anger on this tour? Yes. I think if they're doing a unique set every night, or every weekend, I think they'll probably throw in at least one song from St. Anger one of the nights. Yeah, I agree with that. Maybe even, ha- what did they? What were they rotating in the summer? Frantic and... Fr- uh, Frantic and... and St. Anger. Anger? Yep, yep. He says, I know that they've done some songs live, but when I hear them, I still can't get the clanging pots and pans out of my head. <laughs> but back to the good stuff, he says, I can hear Lux Eterna live already with crowd screaming the chorus. It's the perfect song for live. I mean, it's a, it's a song about a concert. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. For sure. It's a song about people being brought together by music. It's going to fucking rip live. I can't wait. He says, with the crowd screaming the chorus, love the concept of the album. I think it's going to resonate with a ton of folks and will speak to many reasons why their music has a place in our souls. Our souls. We end our lives in souls. He says, I thought the cover, dude, the kissing is really something else. <laughs> I know. I love the theory that it, it's not kissing. It's the sounds of a mouse. It's a mouse, and, and or, or it's just it, that's what moles sound like. It's the sound of a mole like digging out of the ground, right? A mole is a rodent, so maybe that's what he thinks moles sound like, and maybe they do. I don't know. I've got them in my backyard. I should ask him sometime, dude. In Nash, here, and that's so true. Here in Nashville, there's a real mole. There's a real mole situation in this town, dude. Yeah, you got a lumpy backyard. It's the moles. It's the moles. He says, I do like the color. Oh, he says, I thought the cover was a bit generic, but I like the color. I'm kind of in that, too. I love the yellow. Cover is pretty rough for me. He says, the idea of eternal light coming out of the dark or the sunrise of life come to mind. They're they're a splattering color and the sunshine has come. Couldn't help referencing one of my favorite Talica tunes. What's he talking about? Unforgiven 2? No, the sunshine never comes. Oh, that's Day That Never Comes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm thinking about Unforgiven 2 when he says, but now I see the sun. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I see the sun. That was an excerpt from the CD, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that was an actual Yeah, now sample. I see it. And I will always love moles. <laughs> Whitney and James are always cutting it up at my house. They dude. really are. Really, I'm like, can I just get through one two-hour podcast without you knuckleheads singing in the kitchen? All right. <laughs> he says, it's great that Metallica are willing to try new things. Impressive that they're letting people play the whole song on YouTube. Time to exercise the Napster ghost. What does he mean by that? Uh, I think it's like, like, you know, when people do reaction videos and stuff like that. 
you know, when you re, you know, or like if one of our episodes is on YouTube or whatever, it has Metallica music in it. Uh, I think it's a different time now with monetization. People are able to put up Lux Eterna and do a guitar playthrough or a, a reaction video or whatever and not have it taken down. Right. They, it, they might give you a warning where it's like, uh, this will not be played in, you know, Luxembourg or something. Are you telling me that Luxembourg's not going to play Lux Eterna? They have to play it in Luxembourg. They, they better play it in Luxembourg. It's practically <laughs> named after Luxembourg. Luxembourg! He says, keep up the great work. I will get back to listening to the back catalog episodes. I'm into year two. Looking forward to all the discussions this album will generate. By the way, Metal Gear Podcast was my most listened to podcast on Spotify, and Metallica was the top artist. Well, I feel very honored. Thank you for spending all that time with us, letting us into your life in that way. All of you listeners out there this year. That's right. Who have supported the show. And a lot of people were tagging us in their Spotify rap thing and that we were the their top five podcasts. And Very cool. It's very, very cool. We really do appreciate all you guys out there that, that uh, take the time to listen despite my rants about Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> well, there you have it. Thank you for everyone who wrote in. The easiest way to get a hold of us is show at gmail.com. And we will read your thoughts on the show. We're going to let you hear a quick commercial for Patreon. Patreon is where you have an opportunity through a trusted platform, Patreon, I'm sure you've heard of it, yes. to, to donate to the show, to help make the show special, to help us justify the associated costs with maintaining our websites, making merch, throwing parties. We put out the EPs. You know, we got to keep the lights on here. Of course. That's the way to do it. People want to buy us beers whenever we're on tour. This is a great way to buy me me and Ethan a beer or a cup of coffee. It's five bucks a month. You're going to hear all about it in this quick commercial. And then we're going to burn down night two of the 30th anniversary shows, which I'm excited about. Yeah, me too. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here. And we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. Little, yellow, different. Here, take two of these. New print. Did we just start a, a new print grindcore band? <laughs> yeah, well, it's always existed. We're new print. Yeah, it always was there. We just had to stumble upon it. That's right. Yeah, it, it found us. So I want to say thank you to listener and patron Cosmo Moore who wrote into the show and said that he had gone to all four of these. And it's hard to find good info about like the pre-show stuff. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it last on the last episode where Jim Brewer does the trivia and Met Club winners got to participate in that. And you win a toaster and, you know, the openers. Thank you to, by the way, is it Father Mocker who on YouTube compiled all the videos of the yeah. 30th anniversaries? 
So you can really see a lot of the Metallica performances, but a lot of the other stuff's hard to find. It is, yeah. So Cosmo Moore wrote in, and this is not super long, but this gives us kind of an idea of what the vibe is like. So thank you to them for their time. They write after door because I basically said, what happens between Doors and Metallica? Yeah. But because and it, and because I didn't know if it was the exact same every night. We got a pretty good idea of it for night one. Basically, night two, it, it, he basically said it is the same. They kind of did the same thing leading up to the show. So the Doors says he got third from the rail. The PA was playing a Metallica mix, which he says that was nice. They would mix in the Congratulations Metallica videos. So someone like Michael Schinker, like people that were their buds that couldn't be there, right? sent in like videos, almost like... Um, they did the, ta- the Taylor Hawkins tribute, too. Exactly. He says most of the videos were enjoyable the first night, but by now, which he's talking about night two specifically, they became a little grating, he says. Mm. Uh, he says crowd enjoyed the babble from Lars and James. Everyone enjoyed the Soul Rebels each night. Great energy and fun having them in the crowd. So they opened every night. Right. Yeah. They were the first opener. He says the crowd was moderately interested in the trivia and named that riff games on night one, but quickly lost interest. The name that riff in particular was clunky. By night two, nobody gave a shit and were annoyed by it. People generally enjoyed Jim Brewer, but his constant calls to give a Hetfield yeah got old quick. He did tell a funny story about how in Japan, Kirk is pronounced cock. (laughs) (laughs) Says the crowd was... So the opener for night two was Armored Saint, which we're going to get into John Bush. John Bush, famously in the Metallica world, was courted by the band to take over lead singing duties after Kill Em All. Yeah, I know. It's wild. We'll definitely get to that. And Lars kind of talks about that, you know, like just the trajectory that could have been, which I've got to say, and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm in the majority here. I'm glad it didn't happen, even though I love John Bush's voice. Yeah, same. I, I, I do too. I actually, after after watching all this footage last night on YouTube, I, I sat down and listened to the latest Armored Saint record. Kicks ass. Really? He still sounds great. He does sound great. Yeah. Are the songs good? Yeah. I think the songs are, I mean, they're not mind blowing songs, but I mean, I mean, for dudes that are in their fifties, maybe early sixties now, real kick ass. What's the name of the record? The record was called, stand by. We end our lives as motor. The record is called Punching the Sky. Dude, we're just punching the sky still. The funny thing is the, uh, one of the tracks on the record, the, uh, the first track is called Standing on the Shoulder of Giants. Aww. Well, you have to do that to punch the sky. But they have some, like, there's one song, like, like it was pretty funny, like, just listening to it, looking at the song titles. They have a song called Bubble. Bubble? Just Bubble. <laughs> and there's one called Bark No Bite. Bark No Bite, hell yeah. yeah. All right. Well, they played a seven-song set opening. They played Lesson Well Learned. This is for all of you big Armored Saint fans out there. March of the Saint, Nervous Man, Rain of Fire, Chemical Euphoria, Can You Deliver, and Madhouse. Sadly, no bubble was debuted on the show. Yeah, no bubble. But Cosmo says the crowd was super dead for Armored Saint. The night before, it was rad to hear the cellos. He's talking about Apocalyptica. And they mostly play Metallica songs. The crowd did not care one bit for Armored Saint. I mean, is this... Because I, I watched a good portion of the Armored Saint set from this show. And I thought they kicked ass. They're real tight. He sounded great. I mean, everyone's at this point in, in the night are probably already feeling pretty kind of tired and they, they need that that pickup with metallica yeah i don't think he's saying they weren't good he's just saying the crowd wasn't digging it yeah you know yeah i get it uh he says pre-metallica each night was pretty copy and paste the band would come out and do a little thing then there would be jim brewer the soul rebels trivia the opening act which tonight was armored saint name that riff contest then metallica he says with some brewers sprinkled in throughout 
I think that was the order. So then he kind of hit some highlights, and we're going to just burn the whole show down with you know various clips. We're going to really try to usher everybody into the room so they can smell Kirk Hammett's wah pedal if they just right. simply close their eyes. Um, he says on the Jason thing because we had some we had some concerns on night one about Jason's vibe. Mm-hmm. It felt like the way he got introduced was a little weird, not super weird, but a little weird, a little weird, and it felt like his vibe got a little like insular and, and a little withdrawn or distant yeah he says jason i think jason felt more comfortable t- this night i just rewatched creeping death he was right in front of me during the die section and he was giving good vibes during the final verse him and rob were doing backup vocals in the same mic he says the energy definitely dipped for some of the guests memory remains was kind of a flop three songs in a row with guest vocalists a good number of people would rather have had james sing i enjoyed watching james when he doesn't have to sing he seems to have a great time and of course he has excellent backing vocals especially on Horseman, which I agree with all that. Mm-hmm. After the stretch of guest vocals and three fucking Lou Reed songs, the crowd was super stoked to see Jason. Love his BGVs on the songs. Always special to hear that middle part of Battery. He says, I think fatigue set in for Merciful Fate and a portion of the crowd would rather have heard James sing. So that was the vibe. The vibe was a little off. He says, I enjoyed all the guests and special stuff over the four shows. Enjoyed seeing Metallica having fun with their friends. But I got the vibe that a lot of people were over it. Like night three, he says, I can imagine the true saying, why are they bringing up some dude to sing Nothing Else Matters? Yeah. And then he puts his name in the hat for the All Within My Hands concert for the Metal Tales, which I wanted to say people are already getting signed up and put on the master list for the uh, M72 tour for the Metal Tales. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you're a patron, you want to do Metal Tales, let us know. So thank you to Cosmo Moore for that kind of insight into sort of the vibe. And, you know, it's he's saying that some of it what did feel kind of tired and long, which that's fine. Yeah. You know, they're doing a show for their friends in the Met Clubbers. So mm-hmm. they're long and they tried to make it special. And, and you know, you can't win them all. So right. I appreciate everything they tried to do, but I also appreciate that the crowd's getting tired too. I mean, there's, what can you do about that? Yeah, for sure. And I think that, and, and, you know, ha- having watched a bunch of this footage of the, of, the, of the first two nights in detail and watching the 40th anniversary shows, it's almost like at the 40th, like they kind of learned their lesson. It's like, hey, let's not, let's not do all that again. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the 40th was like a whole nother level of, of excitement. Yeah, I, I agree. and I, But I really appreciate how ambitious these four nights are. Yeah, me too. I mean, to really get everybody there and get everybody rehearsed to play however 70 whatever unique songs, like very ambitious and, you know, with varying results. So I get it. Agreed. So prior to the set, this, is, this was cool. Kirk and Scott Ian came out to kind of do a, a tribute to Cliff. Kirk talks about the first time he kind of saw Cliff play in a club and how they subsequently became friends and bandmates. We're going to hear a clip of that. 16 years old, there was this uh, nightclub in Berkeley called the International Cafe, and uh, there was this band who just just went on stage, and they were called Easy Street. I remember looking up on the stage, and I seen this guitar player with frizzy hair and glasses and a flying V. His name was Jim Martin. And another guitar, or actually another bass player with long reddish brown hair, bell bottoms, and a flannel shirt, and a big ass Rickenbacker guitar, or bass. And it was Cliff. And I looked at these two guys, and they started playing some Leonard Skinner song, and I thought, who are these freaks? And then they played an original song. And that's where I saw the full-on Cliff Burton headbang for the first time. Three songs into the set, his amp blew up. Which is pretty hilarious. You're all laughing. Because we were in a band then, and we were, like, you know, competitive with everyone, so... So, you'd think that Cliff would just leave the stage, but he didn't. 
he sat down in front of his amp while the band continued to play, and he sat there and headbanged in front of his amp. It was amazing. I could not believe it. So, fast forward a couple years, me and my friend Paul Bailoff called me up and said, hey, there's this band called Trauma. We have to go see them. I'm like, sure. So we go see Trauma, look on stage, and there's that guy, headbanging crazily again. And I thought to myself, oh my God, that guy got so much better in two or three years. It wasn't just a headbang, by that time it was like full body bang. Okay, fast forward six months, Paul Bailoff calls me again and, and he said, you'll never hear what happened. And I said, what, Paul? And he said, that banging bass player from Trauma, he's in Metallica now. Wow, amazing. So, fast forward a few months later, we're roommates in a hotel, and we're on tour, and we can run to Europe, and uh, this is crazy. So that's my first, first encounter. Oh, that's sweet. I like that those Bay Area bands knew Metallica was something. Yeah, they did. They did for sure. They're like calling each other and they're like, dude, did you hear that that crazy guy? He's in Metallica now, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knew that there was something special and they were probably, you know, going to much higher places than their peers. There's a really, really cool band in Birmingham. Well, it was. They had one record. They were called Wayne. Yeah. The, all these guys are like six years older than me, and they were like the Beatles of Birmingham to me. They made this. They made one record called Music on Plastic. Everyone can go check it out if they want. It's to this day one of my favorite records, and their guitar player, Michael Swan, was a hugely influential guitar player for me as a kid. And of course, I ended up becoming friends with all these guys, and the drummer ended up being in a cover band with me for like six years. Awesome. And I, would, I had similar feelings, you know, where it's like, I didn't tell him the first show we played together, but maybe like the sixth show we played together, I was like, you know, um, I'm a huge Wayne fan. Yeah. And I used to like you. I got a fake ID just to sneak into the Nick to watch the band Wayne. <laughs> That's awesome. You've played you've played that band for me and Johnny on the bus before. I just fucking love those guys so much. Anyway, when Kirk was telling that story, I had a very similar feeling. I was slightly distracted by how many people I could actually hear talking while he was up on stage, giving this little. It's wild, right? That's probably people at the bar. I totally agree. I think the crowd vibe from the cameras within the crowd. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Like people, people sound like real chatty. I mean, there's a moment where at least the video that I saw, and I get it. It's it's the Lou Reed part, but at one point they turn the camera around so you can see the crowd, and everyone just looks like completely stunned. Yeah, and I get it. That's that's Lou Reed, and it's kind of a stunning. It's it's a shocking mm-hmm. kind of stunning barrage of music but right yeah but i get the sense of that yeah they're not even shutting up when kirk's talking about meeting cliff for the first time i mean kirk hammett and scott ian walk on stage i'm sure everyone cheered loudly for them and then shut up and then you're talking i mean and you're telling a story about about cliff probably yeah besides james the most beloved member that's been in metallica and from the guys that knew him from the beginning especially kirk obviously from the get-go so it's like man is that Miller Lite that important? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to follow up with Cosmo about that vibe because this is the second night in a row that the vibe just seems off with the crowd to me. Mm-hmm, yeah. So continuing on from night one, which I don't know if the people who went to night one even knew this was going to be a thing until this moment, but they opened with To Live Is To Die. Yeah. Which is the first time they played it. It's the live debut, 23 years since they wrote it. I know I said last week that I changed my favorite from To Live Is To Die to Call of Cthulhu. 
but I'm going to have to change it back to To Live Is To Die. <laughs> to Live Is To Die is, is pretty incredible. It's just such a cool song. And I wanted to play a little bit of it because they, they do that kind of intro where they build it up with the drums. And the, the, mm-hmm. the tempo definitely changes when the groove comes in. Oh, yes. Oh, but yes. let's just yeah, check out that, how they get into it because it's, it's cool. And, and this, is, this like gave me chills. The hairs rose up on my arm. I was trying to just imagine what it felt like to be there to watch the debut of one of my favorite instrumentals, one of my one of my favorite Metallica songs. I think it sounds pretty good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, the the tempo going from that that build at the beginning to <laughs> yeah. where they're at now is, and this is going to be a reoccurring theme throughout this show. And I think it was just this era of the band. I know we got a, a lot of Lars lovers out there, us included, but he was not known for his consistent yeah. BPMs back then. I'll tell you, you what know? just amazes me about it though is that the band always locks into him. Like they, they do. They just have that band. They just have that band energy. They have the band mm-hmm. counting. Every time they do Creeping Death, his hat counts. I'm like, what is he doing? And it's, it's, yeah, it's just like sure. muscle memory, you know? It really is. Well, you can, uh, I remember when, when there was the uh, Download 04 show with, with Lombardo on drums and all that stuff mm-hmm. and Joey Jordanson. When they did Creeping Death, when he, especially when he does the ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, uh, he like rushes those. Oh, yeah. And you can hear the band rushing it and Dave Lombardo, whoever, or Joey, whoever it was, playing it normal, like, re- like the album. Yeah. And they weren't ready for that. Yeah. Solos are pretty hit or miss. Yeah. This had to have been just insanely exciting for people there because I mean, it's the live debut. Uh, I don't have, I don't even know if they've even played it since. It's like no, it's one and, and they don't do their that instrumentals that often. We've done Orion here and there, Cthulhu maybe the most common. Yeah, um, but yeah, I wish this would be amazing if they threw it in the set on the next tour. Jason used to do like the middle section in the Doodles, like in the Black Album era. Right, right, right. Little teasers, or they would, or and then the other guys would come out and do like the good harmony parts. You know, yeah. Some nice guitar minis coming up here. Yeah.
So anyway, it's pretty good. They yeah, they kind of stumble through some of those transitions. There's like a really hard transition when it goes to that clean kind of filter sounding guitar. Rob and Kirk are doing these swells, and it's it sounds pretty rusty. They've never played it before. Yeah, yeah, first time ever playing it. And, you know, you got to think about these shows, too. I mean, they're not just rehearsing their songs. You know, they're rehearsing all the guest songs and all that stuff. So Totally. A lot on their plate to think about, you know, mentally. We've been there. It's like you're throwing in a bunch of new stuff and at one show. It's like that can get jumbled in your brain real fast. And some interesting things to note, Kirk does the second solo. James's clean tone is great. I love his clean tone when they get to that. Mm-hmm. During the the part where the, the recitation of the Cliff poem, right? They use the recording from Injustice for All, so it was James saying it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's kind of interesting to hear like that young James talking at the show. Yeah, I know, right? So that ends. They go right into Sandman. This was one. Of, this is the first time they had played it that early since June twenty third, two thousand in Seattle, which I was surprised it was even that soon. And I looked up that show, and it was basically like a greatest hits kind of festival. Like they played nine songs, and there was like mm-hmm. Dr. Dre and Eminem, and you know, Foo Fighters, maybe. Right. Of course, it would return Inner Sandman to slot three this summer in Europe. Which was wild. Pretty exciting. But so to go ahead and do it, number two is cool. The lights were real minimal. The vocals, again, on night two here, I'm sad to report, are pretty rough still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been I've been noticing that as I've been watching these. Like, There's certain songs, certain moments where James is really nailing it, and there's other times where... Ooh, not you know, not so good. I think well later Lars even mentions his diet. At one point James takes his shirt off and Lars is like, Holy shit, look how thin James is. He Lars <laughs> yeah. even says like he's just showing off the effects of his new diet, which I don't blame him. Do it. Do it. I've told you about I lost a bunch of weight once and took my shirt off at a show and there were like five people there. Yeah. And then we had to play like the big ballads and it just did not look cool with a shirt off. <laughs> James looks real cool, but I think yeah, I think agreed. he just wasn't healthy, dude, because I, I got to give the vocals like in general on these shows pretty low, like a three out of ten. Yeah, they're they're not great. There's not a single song where it's it's great. I mean, it, there's like moments where you're like, oh, he sounds good on this chorus, right? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you, dude. He seems a little out of it to me, to be honest. Anyway, so they burn Sandman down. He says happy thirtieth to the Met Club, which I thought was nice. And then of course he says, which I I love telling this Gibby Haynes story, but. He says, now that that's out of the way, like they get Sandman out of the way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's sure. a story about Gibby Haynes, who's the lead singer of the Butthole Surfers, which is a very insane Austin, Texas, like art rock band. Insane is a good word for that band. And they would even do full shows where they would have like a sex change operation on the screen behind them the whole time. <laughs> Somehow that song Pepper got huge because of like MTV, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I heard of them, which is from MTV. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there are other records, which by the way are called. Rembrandt, Pussy Horse, and Hairway to Steven. <laughs> Hairway to Steven's a good one. They're almost unlistenable, like college art rock, you know? So this the single that they had that got really big, it was almost like a fluke, and it brought a lot of MTV people to the to their shows, you know? Right. And so they would open with Pepper, and then Gibby Haynes would famously say, well, now that all the assholes are leaving, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's start the show. Yeah, they were probably bummed that they didn't want those. They probably wanted, like, to be this weird art rock college band that's playing small shows and then all of a sudden it's kind of like when you know when all of a sudden like the joke is like you know when the jocks show up at your show you know that you know you've you've, you've time to go cross this threshold you know yeah yeah totally uh then they go into holier than now and uh we have a clip of that it sounds really good the band sounds pretty good in general yeah uh especially on the deeper cuts especially at this time this was pretty deep and deep deep cuts were Kind of the name of the game for this as we go through, but let's let's hear a little bit of what they sound like playing holier.
The chugs are tight. Very tight. This was the first time in seven years that it was played in San Francisco. Last time at the Cow Palace. Oh, the old Cow Palace. I still can't believe that there's a venue called the Cow Palace. The Cow Palace, it sounds like a country bar. They sound good. They sound tight. We can keep moving forward here. James right. gets a nice Rob chant going during the kind of bass breakdown after the first solo. So then they play what I guess might be, this is top contender for my most excited moment in this show, is they bust out disposable heroes. Yeah. A lot of strobe awesome. lights. It looks cool. James says, we're all heroes tonight, baby. That's right. I'm like, well, we hope we're not disposable heroes. But yes, I guess we're all heroes. The chugs sound magnificent. This song blows my mind. I know it's just a simple thing, but to do it consistently that tight is why they are the dudes that they are. Exactly. The vocals mostly sound pretty good on this one, but you start grading on a curve and if you're paying attention to this show, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure. Like he starts doing things that where I'm like, that's pretty good. Thank goodness he hit that that I would have said were bad on a normal show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But because of the rest of the songs, you're like, okay. yeah, well, I'm just pulling for him so hard because obviously I'm not worried that he can't sing. Like I adore the man's vocals. I just think he was having an off week. Mm -hmm. First time in seven years that the electric non bridge goal version was played in the Bay Area last played on November 28th in San Jose, California, which was the last show of 2004. And they also played The God That Failed. So a couple of deep cuts there. Yeah, very cool. They do that tight kind of fake ending. It's great. They sound great. This goes into a Kirk doodle, which interestingly kind of starts with this low kind of fuel sounding riff, playing that black ESP with the green center. Not one of my favorites, but it's a short and sweet doodle. We can actually even listen to the whole thing here. Let's check it out. I'm the Kirk Monster! Kirk Hammett! Or according to Scott Ian, Cock Hammett. <laughs> Cock Hammett. It's kind of a chord-heavy doodle. That sounds like Iron Maiden right there. Run the sounds of the town, the winds and ruling the night. Oh, he is playing it. that Jimi Hendrix chord in there. What do you give that doodle out of 10? I give that like a two. <laughs> I was, yeah. you know, I, listen, in general, I'm not really, like you're going to a big arena show, I'm not a huge fan of the guitar solo moment. Unless you're fucking Eddie Van Halen or Steve Vai, someone that's like really composed something like, wow, 
Like that was really impressive, you know, like maybe then, maybe then, but I've never been a huge fan of that. Even drum solos, I'm not a huge fan of, but you go to a rush show and Neil Peart has composed this like orchestrated, well thought out thing. It's more interesting to me than what we just listened to. I'm okay with it as long as it's played well. Yeah, I mean, to me, that just sounds like, hey, Kirk, kill some time, and he just kind of made up something off the top of his head. I think that is what happened, because they, as soon as he finishes, he's like, thanks, and then they, you immediately hear the, the ride, China, for Bleeding Me. Yeah. So I don't know if someone said in the ears or a talkback mic, like, hey, someone needs a pee break, or mm-hmm. we need to you know, stall. Right. I also think it's an interesting choice to play the chords of a cover song in the doodle. Yeah, he played Where Eagles Dare by Iron Maiden. <laughs> I thought it was a joke at first. I thought it was just similar. I'm like, that's kind of close. I started singing it, and then like, oh, no, he went into the next part. There it is. So then they go right into Bleeding Me, which is another, is between Disposable Heroes and Bleeding Me. And then, actually, there's a whole string of songs right here that I really love. Mm-hmm. I love James' clean tone. We have a clip of that, but we'll just go ahead and push right through that. All right. Kirk's on the Black Ouija, James with the White Snake by it, which looks great. It was kind of, that was kind of new in 2011. Yeah. Great verbs and delays on his vocals. The vocals are all right. The the slide solo is pretty good. And the bridge riff is where it gets real exciting. So I have the bridge riff here. If we can check this out. And the outro solo is great, too. All right. At the beginning of that bridge riff is one of my favorite Metallica riffs of the 90s. I know. I think that's Kirk, too. I think that's his riff. Good. Hell yeah, it's awesome. Kirk does a pretty good job on this solo. And I love this part where he starts playing this melody. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, he did a great job in that lead. Sounded awesome. It's like one of the few moments where he feels really comfortable playing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is about these shows that are so kind of loosey-goosey it, it it goes some of it's loosey-goosey in such a great way it's such a great like we're all just here having fun way yeah and then some of it in a way where i'm like yeah but you're also playing a show i mean yeah you, know. you have to you know, you're still performing people you're pay still money performing to see <laughs> <laughs> just to keep the load sauce happening they go right into wasting my hate uh, we have the intro clip here 
I love this song, man. Yeah, me too. He's quoting our email. Wow. He's a big listener of the show. He loves it. Dude, this song rips live. I cannot believe they don't play it more. I know. This is also one of my favorite riffs from this era. This is one of the best vocal performances in, of the night. Cool. That's one of my favorite performances. Kirk on the natural Ouija guitar. Next up, we have My Apocalypse. The intro is tight. They sound great. Jim, James introduces Kirk before the solo. He's like, does the whole like, Mr. Hammett. And Kirk in the <laughs> mic goes, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the solo great, though. I mean, yeah. this is the first kind of thrashy. Ah, he did okay on Disposable Heroes, actually. But he really rips the My Apocalypse solo yeah. really well. This is the 37th performance of that song since it was debuted in 2009. Awesome. And afterwards, James says, that was My Apocalypse with added bonus features, which I'm not really sure. Added bonus features? I'm not really sure what he... I mean, he's being like Papa Het, Papa, you know, dad humor stuff. Right. But I'm not sure what the joke is. I hmm. confess. Okay. Next, they do the Beyond Magnetic moment where last uh, the last show was Hate Train. They debuted Just a Bullet Away. And I thought this was interesting. We have a clip of this where James is kind of specifically talking about how these aren't throwaway songs from the Death Magnetic sessions. Check out what he had to say. All right. See, Monday we did uh, Hate Train. And uh, tonight there's another song we haven't ever played ever. It's another song from uh, the Death Magnetic sessions that kind of was too good for Death Magnetic. No, it uh, didn't make it. I don't know how or why it was too long, too something. You can decide. I mean, these aren't leftovers. You can say they are. You can feel they are. Uh, I don't feel that at all. I hate leftovers. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that's him kind of, you know, explaining that. They do kind of sound like leftovers, but... Yeah, they do a little bit. Um, I, I could see it, though. They just said, hey, look, we have this many songs. And maybe who knows? Maybe they were that ambitious going into Death Magnetic with Rick Rubin or the lack thereof. And we're like, we want to put all these songs on the record. And then someone reined them in and said, hey, I think four should go. Maybe that's the magical number they thought of. And they maybe sat down and voted on all that. I don't know. But, um, but you're right. I think they do kind of sound a little, you know little inferior to the rest of the record i think they're awesome though i mean every time i listen to uh, beyond magnetic which honestly isn't that often but every time i do listen to it i'm like yeah, these are good songs yeah there's some cool shit in there especially the the next two hell and back and rebel of babylon which are my favorites yeah i guess so during mission metallica which at the time of the recording of death magnetic was their like in studio diary video diary and this was a song that apparently called shine that everybody at that time really liked because when they introduced that the working title the crowd there's a significant portion of the crowd that cheers for this mm -hmm. great chugs in the song I, I love the slower middle section we have a clip of that let's listen to that real quick this this section is interesting
It's in 6-4. Yeah, it's cool. A little swagger. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, they don't often do this, so it's a nice treat. It's a very different sounding vibe for them. like this weird section yeah it's super weird it i don't mean this is an insult it kind of reminds me of like zelda or something (laughs) a lot of metal music is like video game music it totally is yeah check out the chugs when they get back into this Oh, yeah. It sounds, it sounds like Cowboys from Hell almost. Yeah, that was bitching. The crowd really seemed to dig it. They got a good response. James actually even says, it's a fun song, man. It's awesome. Come on, man. Next up, we have Bread Fan, and this is the moment in the show where they bring a Met Clubber, a lucky Met Clubber out to jam. Andrew Dallas, who played guitar during the song. They do lightly make fun of him from being from L.A., which we have a <laughs> clip of, which is pretty funny. So what song are we doing? Andrew, come here. Come here. Where are you from? L.A. I'm sorry, you have to go back in the audience. Sorry. We didn't know that. Sorry. It's okay. (laughs) You're accepted up here. That's that's mainly the Dodgers-Giants rivalry happening right there. Right, right. I think we're accepted up here. Okay, Andrew is from L.A. and he's here to play. What song? Brantford! And then they rip through Bread Fam, which is really cool, really oh, fun. Yeah. This would be one I would choose to play with the band because it's just so fun and easy to play. Yeah, yeah, this it definitely is. It's just, it's a almost feels like a party song in a way. And this dude Andrew Dallas did a good job. He's headbanging the whole time. He's having a blast. He, you can you can tell he's not letting it go to waste. He's soaking up every moment. Yeah, that's what you got to do. I, I am curious. I wonder if they when they're picking these people to play, you know, a song each night. Are they giving them a list of songs, or they're like, "Hey," because because they, they don't want to be like, "Hey, play Disposable Heroes with us." Like, you could fuck that up pretty bad. Totally. You know, play something simple. Well, I, I think they may have, the way that they won is they maybe auditioned by sending in them playing. So maybe they got a sense of yeah their you know what level they were at. I don't know, but it, but you're right. Maybe they did just because the other one was well. I don't know. The last one's blackened. Oh damn! Okay. The last one is a husband and wife doing Blackened together. Um, what was the first one? Was it Rome? The first one was Rome, yeah. So that one's pretty easy. With the guy stealing all the picks. <laughs> and the guy stole the pick, yeah. So we got Rome, and then this one obviously is Bread Fan, and then I know that there's Blackened. I don't remember what Night 3 is. Anyway, that's a good question. All right, after Bread Fan, we have The Memory Remains. Great song from a great era. It's one of the only handful songs that they will even still play now, mm-hmm. which which is a wind by the way, a window into how they feel about the song. Yep. Great opportunity to have Marion Faithful come out who lent the very creepy awesome 
BGVs, the mm-hmm. he did. But I but I gotta say, they're playing it a little too fast. They're doing the punk rock version. Yep. And this song, when you have a Sabbathy riff, like groove riff heavy song, if you play it fast, it just loses its power. It absolutely does. Loses that power and feel and that swagger. It doesn't work. That really is a, a, a I've noticed that it's a constant theme of this show. Like there's certain songs, it's like dudes pull it back a little bit like it just lost all of its you know mojo or whatever yeah and they have a way it's almost like when you were talking about joey jordanson or or dave lombardo playing creep like correctly but they just were leaning into it Mm -hmm. there's a way that when they do it fast they sort of have made it kind of work it's almost like becomes just a different thing yeah and then you go and listen to the record like oh dude this song actually grooves they don't really groove it ever Mm-hmm. But when they're on their own, they kind of just have a way of playing it fast and it kind of works. I got to tell you, another band that really does that is Pearl Jam. Like Pearl Jam plays their songs so fast live. Yeah. And they're just such a great band. And they, I, you know, I've been hearing Even Flow played at the speed that they play it now for so many years. You go back and listen to that, dude. The record's like, I know, man. Live, it's like, <laughs> that's the exact song I was thinking of when you mentioned Pearl Jam. It's like, that was the first one coming to mind that's like, yes, they always play that way too fast. And they really, it's all their songs. And what's really wild about them is their middle records, where they were kind of writing kind of fast songs, they even played those fast. It's, yeah. But that's just kind of their speed. And, and my whole point is when Metallica does it, it kind of works, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. They play they play lightning fast. It's like it's, you know, the recording I think is cooler because it's swagger. But my whole point is Marion Faithful is trying to do her creepy <laughs> like la na na na, but she's trying to do it to their kind of punk rock speed. And it's yeah. here's a clip of it. I'll let, I'll let everyone decide for themselves at home. gotta say if you've seen the snl version of this with her this sounds like gold <laughs> well yeah the, apparently on that one she was singing out of key right it was really really bad i thought you know like i think she's holding up pretty well yeah you know you know um she's not like, lo- like fully losing it and getting off the rails but uh it doesn't go off the rails it just it just feels a little it just something doesn't feel great about yeah, it you it's know just, it's rushed you know it's totally rushed it, and that's like you said that's kind of a sabbathy sounding riffy song that needs to be laid back yeah ha- it does to. and that's fine it's co- so cool to see it and then they, they of course they do the whole thing where Lars keeps the crowd going and you can see on Marian Faithful's face, you know, like that it's a cool moment for her too. Mm-hmm, yeah, and then and then even at the end of that performance, you hear James kind of off mic to her say, "Can you feel all the love?" Oh, that's and cool. She, and she says something like, "Yeah, it's it's beautiful." And she's here, like, you know, "What? <laughs> huh? Da, 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 mole. <laughs> hey, Marianne, can you feel the love?" And she says, we "End our lives, moles." <laughs> <laughs> and she starts making moles squeaky sounds <laughs> god i love that david got so involved in that recording sesh that he just started making the sounds of moles the sounds of moles in a weird medieval <laughs> voice 
I, I appreciate that medieval <laughs> accent. I think it's, I, I like it. I mean, it's definitely, he's got a flair for the theatrical, you know, yeah. maybe he misses calling as a, his thespian calling as a, you know, a great actor of the stage. That's right. A thespian. <laughs> well, now here's the point where I relax a little bit and you uh, take me on the ride. That's right, man. Get in lounge position. We're going to talk about the second half of the set here, uh, which starts off by uh, Mr. Ray Holler of the band Sweet Savage coming out for a, a pretty cool rendition of Killing Time. Uh, another great Metallica. This is one of, another one of those songs that, like a Stone Cold Crazy or whatever, or a Bread fan, that I just thought was a Metallica song. You know, I hear that B-side and I'm thinking like, dude, wow, I can't believe Metallica didn't put this on a record, you know, not understanding when I was that young what cover songs were. Right. So this was the, only the 18th performance of the song since it was debuted at Metallica's very first show on March 14th, 1982 at Radio City and in, I believe, Anaheim. Uh, so, you know, a very, very rare, at this point in their career, very, a rare performance of Killing Time. Um, Ray uh, Holler, who, uh, singer of Sweet Savage, uh, he's Irish. Um, he comes on stage, seems very grateful to be there, uh, addresses the crowd, says, like, I flew here from Ireland. You know, he's so, like, pumped to be there. You know, and I don't know what Sweet Savage is doing at this time in their career. Maybe nothing. But I thought the performance was pretty good. Um, the band was, a, you can tell this one wasn't as rehearsed as a lot of the other stuff uh, where they sound a little tighter. Um, it's loose, but they're having fun. And Ray is just having a blast, much like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the excuse me, a lot of the other guests. Well, they made this song, the B-side of Whiskey in the Jar, mm-hmm. and they, they put it on Garage Inc. And when that happened, the band had been inactive. And when that came out, there was a bunch of, interest in them and they signed a new record deal in like 96 97 oh good for them and uh put out a record called killing time <laughs> like dudes we gotta capitalize on this right now <laughs> they, they totally did you know who else did that Di- is diamond head re-recorded lightning to the nations a couple years ago crazy they just re-recorded the whole thing i mean i guess if you're in that position you know it's like uh well we're not selling that many tickets or we're not a band anymore or whatever we have this great opportunity where metallica just kind of put us on this this maybe short-lived pedestal yeah you know we should maybe take advantage of that and see what happens um yeah yeah pretty pretty wild stuff but yeah moving on from that uh turn the page they play next uh, which features mr kid rock on vocals also known as bob this is another example of the band playing way too fast and it's rough in general and, and let me preface this by saying i am a kid rock fan yeah i like him i think when he's doing his thing that really he really carved out a little niche for himself yeah he did he he had this kind of I mean go watch him do the beginning of Bob to Bob Woodstock ninety nine it's undeniably awesome and mm-hmm. funny and ridiculous he's wearing like a red pimp outfit with a cane comes out with like a fur coat in the middle of summer yeah he's like a fur coat and it's a hundred thousand degrees and he does that my name is Kid yeah Kid baby and then the Bob to Bob rocks like I'm not a hater of Kid Rock yeah. I, I there was a period of my life where I hated him because of the American badass thing. Right. But this doesn't work to me. This No. He comes out, he's like, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a Detroit Soul song. And when he he starts to open up at the end of this performance where it kind of starts to work. Yeah. But the but the talky low stuff at the top is that weird. That was weird, yeah. I that was one of the notes I had was was he does this kind of spoken word first half verse or whatever. And, he's Henry and- Rollins all of a sudden. Yeah, it was it was it was definitely weird. It's like, hey man, you have a good voice, like use it, like in, yeah. you know. And he sang the rest of the song, and there was moments where he sounded pretty good. Uh, James on a butterscotch Telecaster, that was real cool, real nice, right? 
Love that, yeah. And he's just kind of hanging back by uh, by his amps and by Rob's bass rig, just playing this telly, and it sounds really cool. He, it's it's funny because it sounds like all of his other guitars. It's like once you <laughs> once you put his whatever his pickups in it and run it through his amps or amp modeling, right? Does, does it even matter that he's playing telly? But I think he needs to play tellys more, dude. It looks great. on It him. looks really cool on him. And I, I, I mean, I could definitely tell watching watching that performance. I was like, okay, I can hear that at certain times when he's doing like some picking that you can tell jangle. it's a Telecaster. But when yeah. they hit that chorus. It just sounds like. I know. <laughs> he may as well be playing the Les Paul. I don't know if that's like the one he would play when he would do Unforgiven Two, not the B Bender one, but right. Once he kind of gave up on trying to do a B Bender live, he would sometimes play that a Butterscotch Telly. I also wondered if that's his Butterscotch Telly that Lou Reed plays later on Ice Tony. I think Lou Reed might have switched guitars then because. He switched guitars. He's definitely playing some weird custom thing at some point. He does that for the View and and the Velvet Underground team. But for the first song for Ice Honey, he's playing a yeah. What looks like a kind of bitching butterscotch telly, like a Bruce Springsteen yeah. telly. Yeah, I wonder if it was the same one. That'd be interesting to find out. Um, I thought Kid Rock did okay at, at times. You know, I got about a minute clip here to, to scope out for a second. But um, the BPM, I actually tapped this out and tapped out the album version because I was I was like, this is noticeably faster, like way too fast. How much faster is it? Album BPM one fifty. This BPM BPM 180. Wow. 30 BPM faster. If you know, if you ever do any recording, that's fast. Yeah. That's, well, you'll start to really feel the difference after about five. Yeah. Well, you'll start to notice the difference at five. Five can make the difference between like, this doesn't feel good. This feels good. Yeah. 10 or more. And, and it's, you're changing the nature of the song. Yeah. It's like a different song at that point. 30? <laughs> 30 BPM, man. So, well, check out the, check out this clip and you can hear how fast they're playing it. It's like Steven Tyler. It sounds like karaoke to me, dude. And the thing is, like, like Bob has a really good voice. Yeah, he can he can sing. And then and this is this song is his vibe. Like I know, I feel like he's just going for too much. He's trying to do this soul thing. Chorus is actually where he sounds the best, which isn't saying a ton. It still kind of sounds like bar karaoke to me. Yeah, the the verses is where he really is just like, it's like man, like you don't have, you're not Aretha Franklin, dude. Like just <laughs> sing, sing the shit and sound. You, he's got a rad raspy voice, like, and that song. I mean, that's a perfect song for him to come out and sing on it. They have a history of doing that, uh, and this would have been around the time you saw them. Kid Rock last sang that song with Metallica, July sixteenth, two thousand, in Phoenix. Yeah, I saw, I mean, I saw them, I can't remember, but yeah, I saw them do it uh, in, in uh, fuck, where was it? Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. At the Georgia Dome. And it was horrible then, too. <laughs> it, it's just one of those things that I, I really, you know, I hadn't watched a lot of these clips in years, and I was really kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, this will probably be pretty good. And I'm not even a huge Kid Rock fan. And uh, yeah, pretty, pretty disappointing, to be honest. <laughs> Well, because we know how good they are. Like that's the thing. I'm not knocking him. I, I really do like him, and I, I the album "Devil Without a Cause" I like and listen to in my private time. Yeah, but yeah, it, and and you were right too. Perfect opportunity. Yes, like great song for him, and obviously the Detroit connections and Bob Seger and big hit for Metallica. It just didn't work. That's all. I feel like it could have too, and and maybe a lot of him kind of. I mean, for no, for all I know, he could have been hammered, but you know they're already playing at 30 BPM faster than the album. 
Yeah, he was kind of set set up to fail a little bit. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but moving on from that, we get a little bit of redemption because we bring John Bush back on stage for uh, the full version of The Four Horsemen. And this was the first time in over 25 years that the full version of the song was performed. I thought John Bush sounded pretty great on this song. I agree. This is one of the best moments of the night. It's mind-blowing to think about that there could have been a time where John Bush took over on vocals. Yeah. I, I, I don't even want to, I can't even imagine what the band would sound like. And I'm not interested. He has a kind of a, a real traditional metal voice, like in, in the Dio, mm-hmm. in the Dio, in the Bruce Dickinson Dio line. He's kind of like, like pitch wise, I feel like you got Dio and Dickinson up here, James maybe down here, and then, and then John Bush kind of in the middle where he can kind of get almost up where those guys can. He's a great performer too. He really, he does a good job. He does the best job of the evening with the crowd. I felt like the Sweet Savage guy did pretty good. Like mm-hmm. he was a good performer and, but John Bush knows all the give it up tonight. Like he he knows all the lead singer tricks. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, at this point, you know, in his career, like, you know, he, you know, there's there, there's they're still doing Armored Saint. He had done a bunch of records with Anthrax. Armored Saint was around in the 80s. So I mean, this it's he's a very experienced performer and a kick ass sure. singer. So he knew what to do up there. And that that Sound of White Noise album was good. It's really good. That song that song only. That that song is so good that they play it without him. Yeah, they play. They, yeah, they started playing that song again. Yeah, there's another one on that one. Uh, Room for one more, awesome song. I wanted to play the uh, the intro to John Bush because uh, we have a, a fun little story. Kind of what we talked about earlier about him potentially being in the band. So check this out. Let's hear it. All right. So next guest is uh, someone who you saw earlier up on stage. Uh, you know, Metallica had a dream at one point. I didn't know. I know I wanted to play music. I know I wanted to either play guitar or sing, and I didn't know which. I ended up doing both. Uh, so, you know, I started playing guitar. Then I switched to singer because everyone needed a singer and then back to guitar. And then at one point, Metallica was looking for a singer. And it went on for a while. And I filled in until now. <laughs> so we finally got a singer, all right? We're going to have some tryouts here for a vocalist, all right? The person we always had in mind to be singing for Metallica was someone named John Bush from Armored Saint. So now, this is, this is a big dream for us, all right? And if he had been in the band, maybe we wouldn't still be fang-plucking clubs like the Fillmore. <laughs> okay, maybe we would have fucking had a record deal and fucking been touring and shit. We could be so lucky. So... I hope this means as much to him as it does to us. John, come on out here, bud. Yeah, finally. There's my hat. Our front man. Because, you know, no band can really make it without a front man. That's what we thought. Now I'm going to have to live with this for the next 20 years of my life. Dude, you didn't join Metallica? What the fuck is wrong with you? 20 years? You're only going to live 20 more years? 20 golden years. Wow. Ooh. Okay, then. We're going to live longer, so live longer with us, please. We're going to die right here. How about that? How, you song? How about that? You guys right. ready? We're going to oh. die right here. Inter- interesting little awkward banter at the end. Yeah, I got a little awkward at the end for sure. I'm willing to bet you 100 bones and all of our listeners and Brian K. I want to get my 100 bones back. If you ask, if you ask John Bush, hey, are you happy with the way it all turned out? You know, you got to be an anthrax, you got to the armored saint. Uh, I, I guarantee you, he's going to be like, yeah, man, I love my wife. Maybe he believes in God and God has a purpose and all that. But I bet you in his secret heart, 
he wonders often about what if I had been in Metallica. The thing that's tough about that what if is a lot of people are, are just assuming if John Bush was a singer, it would still just be everything we know about Metallica and every record. Right. And he would just happen to be the singer. But I think it would be drastic because we know John Bush is a writer, too. Yeah, it, it would change everything. I mean, we might have still have gotten Master everything. Puppets, the song. We would have still gotten some of these nuggets, but it would have. It's like in that Simpsons episode where, you know, Homer goes into the past and he like steps on a flower. And then that and then when he goes back to the present, <laughs> everything has changed. It's the butterfly effect. Yeah. Like, yeah, it wouldn't be the Metallica we know right. about with just him singing. Right, exactly. I mean, a lot of those riffs would still be there, things like that. But if James had committed at that point, you know, I'm just going to play guitar. I'm just going to write some riffs. It, it would have been all John Bush writing melodies and lyrics. Maybe James would chime in here and there. So it's a bit of a tough what if. Now, of course, if it was like, yeah, the success never changed, then, yeah, I'm sure he would think about it. I'm sure he still thinks about it, but it could have been in Metallica, you know, but... What you know? We're talking about a whole different version of Metallica. That, that but what do you do when you when you have to like lay in bed at night and be like, I could have been in the biggest band of all time, or maybe they wouldn't have become the biggest band of all time. I think that they're that that magic of Hetfield and, and Lars, you know, is what is what projected right. them that way, with with other influences, of course, you know, along that journey. But um, well, I also want to play a clip of John Bush singing the Four Horsemen because uh, he really kicked ass. And uh, yeah, check it out. Such power in his voice, man. Yeah, sounds great. And I love that James, I mean, they're not like super spot on and perfect, but he starts yeah. coming out with those harmonies and it's like, damn. Yeah, I agree. It sounds good with the harmonies. Yeah, it really does, man. Um, yeah, it's just John Bush is one of those dudes. I feel like he's always had such a great attitude. Any interview I've seen with him in, in about his time in Anthrax, he always just seems super grateful and like, you know what? It was fun. I had a great time and he has a, a true passion for music and he's still doing it to this day, which is great. Well, goody for him. Well, m moving on. The next three songs, <laughs> Mr. Lou Reed comes out. Now, I'm, I, I figured I'm not going to spare anybody with some clips. We know what this sounds like. We've already done half of the deep dive into. It sounds like the record. It does sound like the record. One thing I will say is that I feel like they kind of sounded a little tighter on these because they're just letting Lou do his thing and they're just kind of kicking back. And this was kind of the newest thing they had worked on at the yeah. time of these shows. So this stuff was still a little more fresh, I think, in their heads. Um uh, the band, yeah, the band definitely seemed like they were having a lot more fun on this stuff. On Ice Honey, this one, we talked about this on, on, on uh, Lulu Part 1. This is the first time on that record and, and with this song where there's kind of a bit yeah. of a chorus because James kind of comes in with the Ice Honey. So it, it feels a little more tolerable. Um, I, I wonder if, if you were in the room. I know that you know earlier we, we heard from a couple of people where it was like, yeah, the Lou Reed thing was whatever. But I, I wonder if I would have enjoyed it a little bit more rather than listening to the recording of Lulu. I was going to maybe save it for the Lulu part two. You know what? I'm just going to salt and pepper this for a second, but save the okay. main portion for when we get back in a room with Paul. I checked out Transformer and Berlin, like did a deep dive. 
they are real good and real legit. Okay. Really happy to report that I really loved those two records a lot. I don't know if I have the energy to keep going, but I was really surprised at how much I really liked these two albums a lot. So okay, I got to imagine if I was able to see it, I would probably be excited to see Lou because I, I get what's like legendary and cool about him and like what same yeah so like his presence is powerful and interesting he does look like jay i feel like he looks like jason newstead's dad at this performance <laughs> he, he, he just looks he like an older version does. of what newstead looked like at the time i saw the band you know band's having fun lou's looking kind of cool back there he's kind of not facing the crowd he's a little bit off, off like an angle a little bit it's like he doesn't even care there's a crowd no. there um the view i found pretty boring uh and then and then white uh, white light white heat velvet underground song this one actually is like a, a more of a melodic song. They made it heavy. Um, I did because I did go listen to Velvet Underground. And oh, that yeah. shit, I could not listen to. I'd rather hear this version. Yeah, for sure. I I had a note that they they, uh, they Metallica'd the song a bit. Thank God. And I again compared to the original, it was it was really fast, and Lou seemed kind of bored. <laughs> but that's his vibe. He though. does deliver it in a real. And I got to tell you that the two records I checked out, he doesn't do that. He's very expressive and emotive, and they're just great songs. I mean, he's he's a weirdo, and the content's weird. Yeah, but yeah, the the you can't catch a butterfly in a jar, iced honey, <laughs> you know, someone who openly despises you. It's like despises. He, you. he has such a weird delivery on these songs, and it was during the view, which I I did like at the top. They were giving props to uh, Aronofsky, the guy who directed their the video. Yeah, Lou did. That's right. Yeah, who did a uh, Black Swan? But it's cool that they were kind of shouting him out, and they they, they seem to have like a group ego and a pride about the lulu project that they were performing and yeah i was kind of buying into it a little bit like watching them like perform obviously minus lou but at this one point they all like go and kind of rally around lou and it's funny because he mm -hmm. he, he kind of gets distracted and like looks over at him curiously he's such a weird guy what are you doing over here yeah like who almost who are you <laughs> like robert comes over right yeah. by him and it, he looks at him almost <laughs> like he doesn't know who he is where did you come from who's this crab man so but then the video i was watching i mentioned this earlier at some point they turn the camera around because i was kind of buying into it like watching you know yeah and then they turn the camera around and you just can see what the crowd's feeling utter stunt just like dead eyes no one's smiling. Yeah. No one's rocking. It's just everyone's just like, huh. I mean, this is also, you know, at this point, you know, this is Met Club members only. So this is like predominantly the most hardcore fans out there. Probably a lot of trues yeah. in the crowd that not only are, are maybe bummed by wasting my hate or bleeding me, but you bring out Lou Reed and do three songs. They were asking a lot of the audience. I do think they were. Yeah. But I also feel like this is a privileged thousand cap situation here. Yeah. I just feel like everyone, everyone, the crowd's kind of disappointing to me, to be honest. Like you can, you can deal with it. This is a, this is a very unique thing that not many people get to see live. I mean, I think I've made my thoughts pretty clear. I do not like Lulu so far. I know maybe the back half is going to really change my mind, but I've listened to it and I don't like it. Yeah. But you bet your ass if I'm watching them play Iced Honey with Lou Reed in, at the Fillmore. Mm-hmm. And I've just—it's been a night of surprises, and even more surprises on the way. I'm rocking out to Ice Honey. Yeah, I think—I mean, I think that's a special moment, yeah. and I think that the way you're talking about when they kind of gather around Lou Reed, it's like they—they—you can tell they have the utmost respect for the guy. For sure. And and they want their crowd to feel the same way. I think about him. So why not bring him up? Well, he goes off, you know, and the crowd's kind of like tepid, you know, like you know, like almost even like thank God it's over. And Lars comes out from behind the kit, and he's like, 
Met Clubbers, give it up for Lou Reed, you know? And yeah. James kind of says a very cool, like, thank you for the inspiration to Lou. Right, yeah. I just don't think that a lot of, you know, a lot of the, these maybe old school fans really get Lou Reed or not necessarily, you know, they don't have to like necessarily understand him or, or get it, but like just to, you know, understand that he he is a, a very, you know, pivotal figure in the music world that changed a lot of people and changed a lot of things about music back then it was really out there still totally he was a living legend at that time yeah exactly and and i gotta say ice honey is probably my favorite lulu song so thank god they played that one yeah the view you know i guess the view's kind of growing on me a little bit the velvet underground tune i could have taken her left but yeah it's fine i mean I, I'll, I'll say that you know the original one is kind of fun you know but um the metallica version of it was 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 much better i think to three Lou songs was asking a lot of the audience i really do that absolutely is asking a lot you know but that's you know i mean they did that at the last show with the diamond head guys you right know? and so totally and they kind of do it almost again a little bit with they do it danzig well danzig too merciful fate they did more the medley thing so at least it's kind of all one song you're keeping it on tonight yeah they do the full-on merciful fate like the 10 minute thing right yeah they do the whole medley which we'll get to here shortly um Anyway, so they move on to Creeping Death after Lou Reed ta- uh, takes off from the stage. Uh, they, they intro Jason kind of casually again, but Jason has a little bit different of a demeanor. He does start kind of back by Lars at the beginning of the song, but at one point Rob gets on the mic and, he, and, and Jason comes out. He's about to go grab his bass and he says, James's worst nightmare, a low-end nightmare. And then James says, I like my low-end where it's, when it's somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, James apparently has like a big issue with bass. Yeah. Which might explain a lot about a little record called Injustice for All. Yeah, or, or even how, you know, it's mixed pretty low on a lot of non-Bob Rock Metallica yeah. records. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're kind of letting you peek in a little bit to their inner world sonically, where here's what I was kind of picking up. Just I'm kind of a sensitive guy. I felt like Rob was saying it kind of taking taking piss out of James a little bit. I don't think James liked that he said it. Yeah, I think it maybe rubbed, rubbed him wrong a little bit. And James kind of does it. He did it on the first show, too, where... He kept throwing these. He he was being kind of cruel to Lars at some moments, mm-hmm. and then he would kind of soften it with like a joke about himself. Yeah, 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 for sure. And he seemed to. There's another moment where they do suicide and redemption. This is coming up, where Rob's like, "Wow, I can't believe I can't believe we did it," you know, like, or that was really squirrely. And James is like, "It wasn't that bad." It kind of off mic, and you, I can kind of <laughs> tell it's like. He wasn't loving that, yeah, that yeah. commentary from old Roberto. But yeah, anyway, for sure. I, I mean, I thought I thought Rob's joke was pretty funny. You know, I did uh, too. I did too. James's worst nightmare: two bass players or whatever. Yeah, a ton of low end. In James's defense, he just get, just got done playing three Lulu songs, so or two Lulu songs and a Velvet Underground song. <laughs> but that might have been the happiest he was all night, though. Yeah, it it really did seem that way. Yeah, he's he seemed really joyful playing the Lou songs. Yeah, and that's cool. And I think that's just his respect of Lou coming out. Yeah, so the beginning of, beginning of Creeping Death, Jason's kind of hanging back by Lars like he did at night one, but then he starts coming up for the gang some gang vocal stuff. And yeah. you see this James looks over at him and kind of smirks and smiles like he's really stoked he's up there. Awesome. And I feel like he really probably wanted that from the get-go of night one. Like, hey, you get up there and do the Jason thing you've always done. But I, I yeah, I really liked seeing James have a genuine smile when jason got to the front of the stage at one point kirk is playing his lead comes over to jason they're kind of rocking together it was a really cool moment at one point jason's kind of they're going into the bridge as the crowd's chanting die before james goes into the next part jason's kind of glaring at the crowd then he starts smiling a little bit then goes back to a glare then you know he's just watching them all scream die and he has this um, this little smirk where he's you can tell he's kind of going like yeah i had that i thought i noticed him like having words with somebody like in the front row did you notice that uh i didn't really notice that no go back and watch it or maybe it's on the next one maybe it's on battery 
But at one point, he's at the mic, and it looks like he's saying something kind of chippy okay. to someone to someone in the crowd. Oh, uh, okay. I got to go back and watch that. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what it was, but yeah. I agree. His vibe was much better. I mean, I, I loved it. And of course, Creeping Death's my, you know, top top five, top three Metallica songs. So yeah, for sure. I love that he. I love that he. You know, so far he did Harvester. He did Damage Inc. He's doing Creep. Mm-hmm. He's doing Battery. Like I just love the songs he's choosing. To do I too. know. And yeah. What, what one so far that he actually played on the record? <laughs> Everything else is like puppets and, and lightning. So in the middle of, of the of the uh, the die. Chant, Wait, which one did he? Which one did he play on the record? Harvester. Yeah. Well, I guess that's debatable though. Well, it? that is debatable. You're, yeah, correct. Yeah, because you know James <laughs> likes his low end where it's some, when it's somewhere else. But there's a great moment, you know, when they go into the da 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 when it's just bass and you got Rob and Jason kind of come together. James says something really cool in this, and, and uh, want to play a little clip of that. Pretty cool sight, huh? You know, same pretty cool side to see these two bass players kind of, you know, playing together. Kind of here right there. Jason gets the motherfucker die in there. Yep. Love it. You got Jason finally, like, really belting it on the mic, you know. Like, night one, he was just kind of hanging back, did a little bit of singing. but And then what was cool is that, like they used to do live, they get Jason singing the last chorus. Yep. Now, he's not really singing. I wouldn't call him, you know, he's not singing it well as far as uh, notes. He's doing like a monotone thing. He's doing his just Jason scream and just the crowd. You can tell the crowd was digging it. Check this out. Met Club, you sing. So let it be written. Let it be done. I'm sanctified because it was. So let it be written. It sounds like Dylan a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's pretty i'm sitting here by the chosen one chosen one (laughs) it's like if dylan was in a hardcore band (laughs) totally hell yeah but man jason came out and did a great job and and you could tell a noticeable difference from night one to night two in his demeanor his excitement his enthusiasm and you know vibing off the crowd and getting on the mic and doing that he stays up on stage for Battery. Uh, the, I felt the band was pretty tight on this one. Um, they actually played that short little bridge section before the solo, which they know a lot of times they cut out so J- James can do his, you know, his whole, you know, are you alive thing. Yep. But, you know, that was kind of a business as usual song. Uh, Jason looked like he was having a great time. Next, we get to the Merciful Fate medley. Now, they bring up almost all but one, the, like, OG lineup of Merciful Fate, King Diamond of vocals, Hank Sherman on guitar, Michael Denner on guitar, and... Timmy Hansen on bass. Uh, now, Lars has a really cool intro, and he talks about them, so uh, I want to check that out real quick. And uh, this was really cool, because this was the first time that the four of the five members of Merciful Fate performed together since 1993. It's crazy. 18 years. Yeah, pretty wild. We were done uh, opening for Venom around Europe. We went up to Copenhagen to record the album that became Ride the Lightning. We needed a place to rehearse the last couple of songs and, and, and write the last couple of songs to ride the lightning. So next door to the studio, Sweet Silence, where we recorded, there was a rehearsal room. And the next uh, bunch of fellows that are coming up were rehearsing in that room. It was very inspiring. And uh, we wrote the last couple of songs to ride the lightning in that room. They became great friends of ours, have remained great friends of ours. And four of the five guys in that band are standing at the bottom of that staircase right there. So 
Will you met lovers please give it up for Satan himself and his cohort. Please welcome <laughs> Timmy, Hank, Michael, and the king himself. Merciful fate! God damn! King Diamond has a cool little intro coming up next. For the first time since 1993... Since 1993, how, when was the last time you played together? 93? Yeah. For the first time since 93, that would be what, 18 years? Something like that? Merciful Fate. Happy anniversary from Merciful Fate to Metallica and all of you guys. Metallica and their entire organization is just something special, and you know it, right? They've opened doors for all of us. It's absolutely just fantastic what's been going on for all these years. I want to thank you guys for all you've done for metal from the heart. It's awesome. So let me kick into this, obviously. Let me think of his vocals. I mean that's that's some high some high singing. Yeah, I kind of admire and appreciate how much he just goes for it. Yes, I do too. I absolutely do too. But it is it is very over the top yeah, and funny. It, it for sure is. I love their lyrics so much. I, it's amazing. I'm not a Merciful Fate fan. I'm not not a fan, but I don't know it very well. And right, yeah, vo- exactly. vocals are a little little hard to get past. But for sure, he's looking all evil and cool. And you know the the, the one dude's taking a solo at the end, and it's kind of rough. But it's like. Yeah, they haven't played in 18 years. Yeah, they really haven't. Yeah, and I love that also every guitar player on stage is playing a flying V. <laughs> totally. There's four flying Vs on stage. Um, <laughs> the band's a little sloppy throughout this song. But the other two guitar players to me from Merciful Fate, they look like they're not active touring guitar. Like They just exactly. look like dads. Exactly. That's that's why when that dude's taking the solo, like I'm easier on him than anybody of the whole night because... He's a dad now. I like that. He's wearing his sweatpants. He's got his football jersey on. He's looking forward to having a beer later and watching the game. And he's just trying to inhabit being a kid again. And mm-hmm. I give him a pass on that solo because he's not a rock star. Anymore, yeah. You know, listen, they all, they all look like they were just so excited to be up there. Just like they yeah. probably hadn't done it in X amount of years. Like I'm like you, I don't, I don't know enough about merciful fate or even King diamond to know when the last time they were in the, you know, the band, but altogether 93, so let's assume it was 93 and it's like, man, you haven't done this stuff in so long. You have whatever, other kind of job right now, whatever that may be. King Diamond's been touring as King Diamond forever. And it's time to get back on stage and do it one more time with Metallica yeah. in San Francisco. Cool. Like, you know, Pretty cool. So yeah, you're right. Sloppy solo, but give him a pass, man. At this point, by the way, James is also shirtless on stage. So hot. But that's And that's where Lars kind of takes a jab at James. And he's like, Lars is saying something else. I guess he's introducing King Diamond. Or or just merciful fate in general, and he actually says, "Well, James Hetfield's got his shirt off." He's like, "I haven't." He's like, "Wow, he, he's wanting to show off his new diet." He's like, "Wow, that's really inspiring." I haven't seen him that thin since you know 1982 <laughs> or whatever. He's giving him a little bit of shit, but kind of a compliment. <laughs> yeah, it's a very complicated little ball of shit, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> and this also might have been too. I mean, you know, I know that you know James was sober at this point, but like. I mean, Lars might have been getting loosey-goosey backstage before the show with all the other guests and stuff, and 
And you give and you gave Lars a mic. So something's gonna happen if you give him a mic. Well, you and I know what the backstage situation's like at something like this. It's yeah. fucking bonkers. Yes. And like even Scott Ian comes out for Seek, and you know he's not otherwise involved in the show. He he, he talked about Cliff at the top with Kirk. Yeah. Well, you know he's back there pounding beers the whole time. I mean Scott's not a sober guy. I don't. I'm not saying he's a like alcoholic drunken guy. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But he drinks, so you know he's back there with all with, hanging out with Newstead and. Everyone you're not seeing on stage is not watching the show. They're all backstage hanging out. Maybe the Merciful Fate dads are watching the show. <laughs> they might be. They're, they're, or they're maybe taking a nap so that they can make sure they play well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the Merciful Fate thing, was it was really fun. It was cool to see yeah. all them together, and the, and the boys were having a good time and stuff like that. And we're getting at the end of the show at this point. You know, Next, they play Seek and Destroy, and we're going to listen to the entire thing right now. Just kidding. Um, this is, you know, Jason News is back on stage, Scott Ian, Ray Holler, John Bush. Joey Vera from Armored Saint, Gonzo Sandoval from Armored Saint, Scott, of course, and a random fan was on stage. And then, of course, the Soul Rebels brass band comes back on stage to play Seek in their New Orleans style with the boys. So, were, were the dudes like taking pictures on the with the cameras? Were those fans? Yeah, there was just like I think just security wasn't great, and they just happened to get on stage, which is wild at a Metallica show. Whoa, they like weren't led up there. They just got up there. I, at no point did I see somebody like scaling the barricade. But according to like the official Metallica lineup of this set list and this song is in quotes, random fan. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it, maybe it was the pick stealer from night one. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> but listen, overall, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of loose moments in the show, a lot of tempo changes in the show, but I felt that the overall vibe was a bit of a step up from the night before. Obviously, there are moments where the crowd is not feeling it. But as far as the, the vibe on stage, you know, especially when, like, Jason comes out, for instance, you know, or even with Lou coming out and the boys seem really stoked, um, I felt like the spirits were a little higher on the stage, maybe not as much in the crowd. I agree. I agree with that. It's still such a fun thing that they did. It's a great document. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to really explore because – on paper, it's really, really great. The actual thing itself is a bit. There's like a lot of head scratching about it. Yeah, you know, that's kind of that's kind of like what Metallica's like. You know, it's a very real thing. You know, they're not. They're, it's not a slick, glossy production. No, it's, they put together a, some cool guests, some cool things. They tried to make it affordable and accessible. They they did what they always do. They brought their fans as close to their world as possible. And at the end of the day whether or not they were feeling good or whatever, they went out on stage and played all their songs mm -hmm. the best they could. So I love it. I'm into it. And this isn't the type of production, a four-day-long thing that you can... You can't do two weeks of rehearsals with every single person from every night. I mean, it's day before. Yeah, they have, they have people that, have, that are coming up there that have their own touring schedules. You have guys like the Merciful Fate dads that have maybe another job right now, and they can't leave for two weeks. You know, it's probably right. a big deal for them to come out for just one of these shows and fly back, you know? The idea is so amazing, like you said, on paper, executing that in a flawless way is near impossible. And it just wouldn't even be Metallica, you know? Yeah. They they could have taken these recordings and like really cleaned them up and stuff, and that would have been fine too, but they're almost like voyeuristic in a way, like very bird's eye view of like being in the room mm -hmm. and kind of, kind of a warts and all thing that i really kind of like about it yeah it's just it's it's just you know it's almost like we got a glimpse into something we're not supposed to see yeah it was only, like it was only meant for them and the lucky fans that got to be there and thankfully everyone got you know a bunch of people started filming with their phones and whatnot and you know we have this whole compilation we can watch all this stuff well thanks again to whoever put that together and uh, that's what we try to do with this episode is just kind of put us all in the room a little bit so we could really enjoy how special it is 
quality notwithstanding. So if you enjoyed it, leave a positive review. Thanks for listening to the show. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. We're going to go ahead and let you get out of here and say peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>